Thank you all for coming to learn together this morning. It's always an honor to be involved in the Kolo Yom Rishon program. It's such an outstanding uh, idea to be able to learn together on a Sunday when uh, when people otherwise are usually not working. So uh, the topic of the shir is from the rabbi's desk, which is a series of shirim I've been giving. This is going to be part of a series I've been giving probably for... Uh, I don't know, uh, eight, nine, ten years already, um, where uh, where the idea is, I just like to share with uh, with with uh, people some shilas that uh, that I've been asked um, recently, and uh, and and how to go about answering these interesting questions. So because I don't want to choose for you which shaila is the most interesting one, I, I I narrow it down to a couple, and then you'll choose which one you want me to talk about. So I'm going to share with you. Two Shilas, and for those who know how to use the chat feature on the uh, on the uh, the Zoom, if you uh, after we go through the two Shilas, you could tell me which one you're interested in talking about, and that will be the topic of this morning's shear. Whichever one gets the most votes, so that's how it's going to work. Okay, so let's uh, let's see how it, how this goes. So one Shila I got a couple of weeks ago from a Rav in an out of town community. Out of town for us New Yorkers means anywhere that's not New York. So uh, so the uh, the the rabbi said uh, as follows. Uh, he, he wrote to me, I have a situation of an Israeli couple that have been living together as husband and wife for years. They are Shomer Shabbos and they come to shul. Uh, the Rav happens to be a Moel. So he writes, I did the bris for their first baby and now they just had a second baby. But I just discovered they never had a chuppah or kiddushin. Meaning when they got married, they were not yet religious. They never had a chuppah or kiddushin at the time of their marriage. But they became bali tshuva over the years. And now they're religious. And now they have uh, two sons. And uh, the rabbi writes, we're going to arrange that hopefully over the next few days we will do a chuppah or kiddushin for them. The question is whether brachos should be made at this chuppah v'kidushin. Meaning, should we assume that the fact that they've been living together as a married couple means that they are already married, and therefore the chuppah v'kidushin may not really be 100% necessary, and it's a risk of a bracha levatala, to recite a bracha, under the chuppah to recite the seven brachos and the birchus or do we assume, no, they never had a chuppah v'kidushin, so you got to do a chuppah v'kidushin properly with all of the brachos. So that was the rabbi's shayla. Do we say savik bracha? Or do you do with all of the brachos? Shaila number two, I got just this past week. I received the following email. A woman writes to me that uh, that she she her daughter had recently graduated college, and as a graduation gift, her parents had purchased for her daughter a beautiful pair of diamond earrings. Um, and a, a week after graduation, the daughter went off to Israel to be an advisor on a birthright trip. So the woman writes that while her daughter was gone, while her daughter was in Israel, last Shabbos afternoon, she started thinking to herself, wait a second, I hope my daughter didn't bring those fancy diamond earrings to Israel. She's going to be hiking, she's going to be swimming, she's going to be in all these places. They, they, they could get ruined, they could get lost. I really hope she didn't bring these earrings to Israel. So the mother said, you know what, let me check the daughter's room and let's see if the earrings are there. So she went into her daughter's room and she saw a jewelry box on her daughter's desk. She opened up the jewelry box and there was a necklace there and there was one diamond earring. Now, her parents had bought her daughter 
two diamond earrings, a pair of diamond earrings. So this woman said, I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I panicked. So I started checking all over my daughter's room. I asked my mother to come help me, and we checked all over the carpet, and we could not find the second diamond earring. So she writes to me, I'll pick up with her email right now. She writes, we couldn't find it, and I was so upset. So as I usually do, I said the pasuk of Rameir Balanes. But this time, I promised an unusually high amount for tzedakah, since I was upset that she lost the gift my parents had just bought her. I promised $3,600. So uh, for those uh, who are familiar, I, I, I actually gave this this year yesterday and I, uh, to a group of uh, women in Woodmere, and there were about 70 women at the year, and I asked how many of you have heard of and or used the uh, Sgula of Mayor Balanes, and out of 70 women at the Shear, 70 hands went up. Um, that uh, Apparently, then I tried this again with a group of men, and uh, I would say less than 25%. I don't know why the gender discrepancy. I know of no uh, reason that Mayor Balanes, uh, that this Sgula should work more for women than it does for men, but be that as it may, um, there's apparently a very famous Sgula of uh, saying something about Mayor Balanes and promising money to so this woman took a nether to give $3,600 to Tzedakah if she finds the earrings. She said, I had no luck, I couldn't find the earrings. But then I stayed up really, really late after Shabbos until it was morning in Israel, and she writes that I waited till 3 a.m. so my daughter would be awake, which means, just for the record, that's 10 a.m. in Israel, which means her daughter sleeps pretty late. But uh, she, she waited up till 3 a.m. until her daughter was awake. She called her daughter, and her daughter's like, what are you doing up at 3 a.m.? And she said, well, I'm, 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 I'm nervous because I, and she told her the whole story. I looked for your earrings and I found only one earring and I didn't, I can't find the other one. And the daughter starts laughing and she says to her, no, I, the earring that you found isn't a real diamond. That's like an old pair of earrings that, uh, that, that I had from years ago. That's, it's, what do they call it? Cubic zirconium. That's, uh, that, that's, that's the fake. My real earrings are put away safely in a different place. They're fine. There's nothing. And, and the woman realizes that the earrings, in fact, uh, the daughter knew the whole time where the earrings are. They're safe and sound. So she writes to me. So under normal circumstances, I would be thrilled to give the $3,600 and know that everything worked out. But I'm going through a divorce, and if I use my husband's foundation card without asking, he will be upset with me. Foundation card, I, I found out, means uh, if someone has like a, 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 a special charity account that's uh, set up as a foundation, so I guess there's a card that they could use that the money goes straight from the foundation, from their charitable foundation. So she says, I can't use my husband's foundation card, and I'm in no position to ask him. I do have the money saved on my own that I could use, but I don't know what I may need that money for one day, meaning she's gone through a divorce. She doesn't know what the divorce settlement is going to be and how desperate she's going to be for money going forward. So I'm wondering if the earrings are considered to have ever actually been lost if my daughter knew where they were the whole time, and I just didn't know where they were. I'm requ- am, am I required to stick to my nether of giving the $3,600? And it's okay if I have to. I don't, I don't want to do something wrong. I'll make it work. I'll figure out a way to give the tzedakah, but uh, I want to know if I'm in fact obligated to do so. So that is Shaila number two. So again, Shaila number one was about the Birchas Harrison. Shaila number two is about the uh, is about the case of the lost earrings. Ooh, a lot of votes have come in already. So one second, let's see, let's see. 
All right, that's one. Oh, okay, there's a second vote. Okay, so we'll start with number two, and then, then if there's time, we'll go back to Shiloh number one. So Shiloh number two, the, how do you answer the Shiloh? The Shiloh is essentially a Shiloh about a neder. It's not really a Shiloh about Rameir Balanais, meaning she took a neder litzdaka, and then she discovered that, uh, that, 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 the, that, uh, that the item wasn't really lost to begin with, that her daughter knew where the item was the whole time. However, once, so, so the question is, is the neder binding? And if the neder is binding, is there any way to undo the nether. Is there anything we could do to make the nether go away? Meaning there are mechanisms within Judaism to undo a nether. So that's really what it boils down to. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about this Rameir Balanais. As someone put in the chat, isn't that Kishuf? Isn't that problematic? What kind of thing is this? That you just recite some sort of uh, um, statement and then all of the sudden uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the Aveda is going to be found? So by the way, if you speak to people who do the Rameir Balanais uh, skula, they will tell you it works 100% of the time, that they always uh, they always find what they're looking for. But that doesn't, that, that's irrelevant, meaning whenever we're discussing something that sounds like it's, uh, it may be uh, not part of, um, you know, uh, or, or something along those lines, whether it works or not is not really the question. The question is whether we're supposed to do it or not. So where in the world does this uh, skula come from? So first of all, just to realize that it is quoted by significant postkim in some form or another. The Chida, who was one of the most prolific authors um, of his time, wrote many, many svarim. So in one of his svarim, in his commentary to the Shulchan Aruch, in Birke Yosef, on Yeridea, Simon Reish Gimel, he writes that there was a minag, that uh, there was that people would, uh, would would take a neder to donate money to tzedakah in the name of Reb Meir if they could make a certain uh, certain profit. So nothing about an Aveda, but about an idea of donating money uh, in honor or in the name of Rabbi Meir. Now, who is Rameir Balanes? Rameir Balanes is Rabbi Meir the Tana, right? It's not, uh, there's not some Makubal named Rameir Balanes. A lot of times people don't realize that. My son told me that Rabbi Nusbacher from Shalavim uh, was uh, on a trip with his wife and her students uh, to uh, the kever of Rameir Balanes. And all the uh, Michalah girls, his wife teaches the Michalah, they were all davening their hearts out at the uh, the kever of Meir Balanais. And Rav Nussbacher noticed that right next to the kever of Meir Balanais was the kever of Sumchus. Sumchus, Mamunamutl Besavi Cholkin, this is like Lumdus in the beginning of Amitzia, comes from Sumchus. So he went to daven by uh, Sumchus's kever. And uh, he's like, I don't even know who this Rameir Balanais is, until he realized that Rameir Balanais is the Tana, Rabbi Meir, right? That's, uh, that's, that's uh, the Holy Tana, uh, Rabbi Meir. So, <laughs> there is this idea that's quoted by the Chida to donate tzedakah in the name of Rav Meir. However, he says, better to donate the money before, not just to uh, to promise the money, but to actually donate the money. The Chida in a different Sefer, in Sefer Pesach Enayim, also says a minute, but he quotes a minute a little differently, to donate either oil, you know, Shemin Lama'ar, or money for the for the zchus of the neshama of Rameir, and and to do that whenever a person is in any sort of distress, and the chida says, and and when you're doing that, you should say elokad Rabbi Meir aneni that the God of Rabbi Meir should answer me. That that's the tefillah that you should offer. And the Chida quotes from Ramami Panu that uh, your intention when doing that, your kavanu when doing that, should be that that uh, whatever Reb Meir davens for, you know, however, whatever kavanos Reb Meir had in his tefillah, I want to have in my tefillah as well. And uh, it became a very common practice that when people were in a state of distress, they would uh, there would be no der tzedakah, Meir Balanes, 
and uh, and and hope for Yeshuos based on uh, based on that. In fact, about two hundred years ago, there was a practice that started that people would start tzedakos, would start charitable organizations, and they would call it Rameir Balanes because it's a great money maker. Because if anyone, anytime anyone's in distress, they're going to donate money to Rameir Balanes. I, you know, I, I thought about renaming my shul Rameir Balanes. We should call it Yeshiva University Rameir Balanes, and then we'll have all these all this money coming in to give tzedakah. But very holy and righteous people. People were involved in charities of Meir Balanes. In fact, no, no less an authority than Rav Shmuel Salant in, uh, in Yerushalayim in the 1860s uh, started a tzedakah for Meir Balanes. It's called, uh, what is it called, Shara Chomos? That's, uh, that's Meir Balanes. And essentially, it's a, the Meir Balanes tzedakah was set up, or most of the Meir Balanes tzedakahs were set up to support Aniyim in Eretz Yisrael, or Talmidei Chachamim in Eretz Yisrael. And that's the way they set it up. But that doesn't really help us understand what does Reb Meir have to do with the Naveda? What does Reb Meir have to do with the Shasat Chak? What is this business of Elaka de Meir Aneni? So first to know what the, what the school is. So if you were to ask people, what are you supposed to do when you are in this uh, distressing situation where you have an Aveda? So the school apparently goes as follows. That you say, Amar Rabbi Binyamin, you say some sort of statement as follows, that Rabbi Binyamin says, Hakol b'cheska sumin, everyone is assumed to be blind, Ad Meir Esenehem, until Hashem lightens up their eyes, until Hashem enlightens them. Minhacha, and how do I know that that's true? From the following Pasuk. The Pasuk by Hagar, that Hagar's in a midbar, she has no water to drink, and the Pasuk says Hashem opened up her eyes, and she saw that there was a uh, a, a, a body of water there, or a uh, a, a, a place to, rec- to get water from, a be'er of water, and she went and she filled up her canteen, her pitcher, whatever she needed of water. So, and then you say, Elaka de Meir Aneni, Elaka de Meir Aneni, Elaka de Meir Aneni, that the God of Meir should answer me, and you say it three times, Bizchus HaTzedaka Shani Nodev Lilu Nishmas Rameir Balanes, Zechus HaYagin Aleinu Limtos HaAveda Sheibadeti, in the Zechus of the Tzedaka, that I'm going to promise, Lilu Nishmas Rameir Balanes, that Zechus should protect us, and uh, I should be able to find the Aveda that I lost. That's the Skula, great. Where does that come from? This whole Amar Rabbi Binyamin, it sounds like a Maimar Chazal. We're talking about Hagar, and then all of a sudden we're talking about Rameir and Elaka de Meir Aneni, and three times. What is this all about? So it, it does come from somewhere. Here's, it in fact comes from two different places. It seems to be a meshing of two different sources. One source is a Medrash Rabbah in Bereshis Rabbah, Parshan Nun Gimel Os Yud Dalid, and the second source is a Gemara in Avodazar Adaf Yudches, and it seems that for some reason the two were conflated with each other. The Medrash Rabbah is as follows. The Medrash Rabbah tells us exactly the first half of that skula, that Amar Rabbi Binyamin, HaKal B'Chaz Kasumin, that we're all considered to be blind until Hashem opens up our eyes, and we quote the Pasuk, Vayivka Chalukim Asenah, Vatera Be'er Mayim, Vatelech Vatamalei Asachemas, Mayim Vatashkesanar. Right, we quote that Pasuk about Hagar. And what are we trying to indicate with that Pasuk about Hagar? That the, the Be'er Mayim was probably there the whole time. She just didn't see it. And very often when we can't find something, it's right there under our nose. But for whatever reason, we're not finding it. So we call to mind, we bring to mind that story with Hagar that when Hashem allowed her to, uh, to, to pay more attention or to know where to focus her attention, she was then able to see it. So uh, this Amr Abinyamin makes a lot of sense in the context of an Aveda. Because when things are lost, they're not lost. We just don't know where they are, right? Meaning they're, 
they're somewhere. They're usually right in the same room as us or in the same house as us. We just don't know where to find it. So that's the um, the one half of it. The other half is 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 even more fascinating, and that is a gemara mesechs of Zar daf Where does this concept of aloka demeir aneni come from? So the gemara tells us as follows. It tells us the following wild story. See, Rabbi Meir was a very chash of a person. He also had a very chash of a wife. Rameir's wife is might be more famous than he is, right? Rameir's wife was, of course, Bruria. Bruria was not only an Eishas Chaver, she was a Bas Talmud Chacham also. Bruria says the Gemara, Debitu de Rameir Bartid Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion. She was the wife of Rameir and the daughter of Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion. So Havai Amra, Bartid Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion Havai. She said to Rabbi Meir, Apparently her sister, another daughter of Rabbi Hanin ben Tradion, was taken captive by the Romans and was held in a kuba shel zonos, in a, a house of ill repute. And that's where she was being kept, to, uh, to, to, to uh, rent out her services for sexual immorality. And it was a terrible bizayon that a daughter of Rabbi Hanin ben Tradion would be in such a situation. So she said to Rabbi Meir, essentially do something about this. Now, you know, wives often say to a husband, there's a problem here, do something about it. So how would Rabbi Meir respond? It's the Romans. What do you want me to do about it? How am I supposed to get her out of a Kuvashel Zonos? So, but his wife said, so he had to do. So what did Rameir do? Shakal Targava Didinri, he took a bag full of money, Va'azal Amar, and he went and he said, you know what, if she didn't do any Averos while she was there, if she managed to stay pure, then I'm sure a miracle will happen for her and we'll be able to rescue her. But but if she violated Isurim, then there's not going to be any miracle that happens for her. She's going to be stuck. So what Rameir did, remarkable, he dressed up as a knight, as someone who was not a Jewish person, as like this, uh, this, uh, this, this, this nobleman or this knight who was coming to solicit her services. And Amrallah, he went to this base Zonos and went to his sister-in-law, but her not knowing that it's him, and he said to her, Hashmi'enili, he propositioned her. Amrallah, she said, nah, dashtana ana, it's a bad time, I'm a nida, it's not going to work out now. So Amrallah, so he said to her, mirtach, mirtach, it's okay, I'll wait, meaning you seem worth it to me, I'll wait for a few days till uh, you're no longer a nida. So Amrallah, look around, there's so many other women here that are so much more beautiful than me, what do you want from me? Take one of these other women, you could do better than me. So Amr, he said, it must be that she, she's remained pure this whole time. Because it must be that everybody who comes uh, and, and propositions her, she gives the same series of excuses. Because meaning Ramirez said, look, I'm a, good, I'm a good looking guy. There's no reason why she would be turning me down. The only reason she'd be turning me down is because she turns everybody down. So obviously she has remained pure. So So then Rameir went to the guard of the base Zonos, and Amr Lai Havane Alai. He said, Give her to me, I want to take this woman home. So Amrlay Mistafina Mimalchusa. The guard said, Look, I would love to, but the Romans are gonna kill me. Meaning I'm afraid of the Malchus. If I let a woman go from here, I'm in big trouble. So Amrlay Shkol Takrava Didinra. So Rameir says, ah, I got I got an easy solution to that. And he takes out his bag full of money. And he says, Here, take this. Palga palach, palga lahavilach. 
Half of it you could use to bribe the officials that are higher than you, and half of it I'm using to bribe you, meaning I, I want you to let her go, so you'll keep half and you lose the other half. You'll use the other half to bribe other, other officials, which, by the way, is throughout history in all sorts of anti-Semitic governments, this is the way Jews needed to get things done. When we see Jews still behave this way in, in just governments, uh, it's unfortunate, but historically there was no other option. Historically, in all sorts of Bikuach Nefesh situations, we had no choice but to bribe government officials. So that's exactly Exactly what a mayor did in order to rescue his sister-in-law. So Amalei v'chishalmi mayavid. Then the, the guard said, "Yeah, but what happens when the money runs out? Then what am I going to do?" So Amalei ema elaka de mayor aneni umitzalta. So a mayor says, "If you run out of money and you're in trouble, just say elaka de mayor aneni. The God of mayors should answer me, and then you'll be saved." So the guy said, I've never heard of that. Who says that that's a thing? Who says that, uh, you know, that that would work? So he says, let me show you how it works. There were local dogs that were these vicious, vicious dogs that would eat people. He took a clod of earth and he threw it at the dogs to agitate the dogs. And the dog started chasing this guy to attack him. So he, now he was in trouble. So he had to do something. So what was he going to do? Well, he just learned to trick. Right? Mayor told him, you could say, So Amar, He said, the God of Mayor should answer me. And all of a sudden, the dogs left, let him alone. Right? If you see a dog attacking you, what do they say you're supposed to say? The Gemara says something else. That you say, And the dogs left him alone. So Viavale, so so, uh, so he gave him the money. So again, she gave he gave her the the sister in law. He gave her mayor the sister in law. The guy went away with the money, right? The the the, the uh, officer had the money, and then eventually the malchus found out about this. So school is kifa. So they were going to hang this guy on the gallows. They were going to execute him for having let the sister in law go. So Omar, as he was about to be hanged, he said. That the God of mayor, mayor should answer me. So Achtua Amrule Mayhai. So they lowered him down from the gallows and they said, "What did you just say? What was that all about? You just said something. What was that? What was that phrase you said?" He says, well, it's actually a crazy story. I met this guy, Mayor, and he wanted to rescue his sister-in-law, and he goes through the whole the whole story. So the Romans went and they hung a picture of Rabbi Meir on the Pesach of Rome. This is the equivalent of America's Most Wanted, right? They hung his picture in the post office. Amri, called the Chazi Lupartsufa Hadein Lysay. Anyone who finds this fugitive, this man, Rabbi Meir, bring him to us and we're going to deal with him. Yom one day they saw him, the Roman officers saw Rabbi Meir, they were able to recognize him from the picture, and they started chasing him. So he started running away from them. So where did he go? He had nowhere to run anymore. He ran into, a, 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 again, a house of ill repute. I guess these places were all over the place in those days. I don't know. He ran into a base zonos. Others say, no, no, he didn't run into a base zonos. What happened was, He saw a bishal akum food. He saw food that was not kosher. And he stuck a finger into the food and then licked a different finger to make it look like he was eating this non-kosher food, that he was eating this bishal akum food. So he stuck one finger in and ate the other from the other and licked on the other finger. Um, and a third version of what happened was not that he went into a base zonos, not that he ate, pretended to eat bishalakum food, but Asa Eliyahu Idmilo, 
Pizona, that Eliyahu Navi came in the form of a zona, in the form of a prostitute. And Karachte, and she like wrapped herself around him. She gave him a big hug. So Amri, whatever version of the story it was, whether Rameir ran into a Bezonos, whether he pretended to eat Bishalakum, or whether there was Elioa Navi dressed as a prostitute hugging him, either way, the Romans who were chasing him said, Chas v'shalom. this can't be him, this can't be Rameir. Because Rameir have a law of If this was Rameir, he never would he wouldn't behave in this way. He wouldn't be eating non kosher food, he wouldn't be going to a Bezonos, he wouldn't be uh, you know, having a zona hugging him, it, it, it never happened. So come Arakas al when Ramey realized that his life was in danger, he then ran to Bavel. And the Gemara says that might be the reason why Rabbi Meir ended up in Bavel. Okay, so that's the story. Now, in that story, we see <clears throat> that apparently, in a time of great distress, Rabbi Meir said, You're supposed to say, Elaka de Meir Aneni. And when you do that, when you call out to the God of Rabbi Meir, then it's uh then 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 you're gonna be Zoha to uh to uh, to Yeshua of some sort. Now, if we put the two things together, uh, the medrash that says that when you have an aveda, you should say that Hashem uh, you know, Amra bin Yamin, that it's all up to Hashem to open up my eyes to the Aveda. Plus, uh, whenever you're in any sort of distress. I guess, including in Aveda, you can uh, call out uh, Laka de Meir. So uh, th- that's probably where the school came from, from putting those two those two things together. Now, what do they have to do with each other? Does a Laka de Meir and any have anything to do with an Aveda? So Pashup Shad is they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. However, however, it could also be, it's possible, I saw someone suggested, that maybe a Laka de Meir and any is a play on words over here. Maybe it's really all about that first source. It's not about the uh, the source from the Gemara Navodazara. Maybe it's really all about that medrash, that when you have an Aveda, you should just recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one that enables you to see and enables you to find things, even when things are right under your nose, and you put your, all your bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's got nothing to do with the story of Rav Meir. Because if you look at the actual statement of, uh, of, of Rabbi Binyamin in the medrash, it's HaKol B'Ches Kasumin At HaKadosh Baruch Hu Meir Es Eneihem until Hashem comes and is Meir Es Eneihem. He enlightens, he, he, he gives light to their eyes. So maybe Alaka de Meir Aneni is just a, 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 a phrase that we borrow from the Gemara Naval de Zara. But what we're really saying is Alaka, the God de Meir, who gives light to our eyes, who enables us to see. And maybe it's not even Aneni, it's Alaka de Meir Enei, that uh, Hashem who's Meir Enayim. We have to remember, Meir is not only a name, it also means light. In fact, the Chida, in a different Sefer, I, I mentioned he's a prolific author, he wrote a lot of Svarim. In a Sefer called Shem HaGadolim, the Chida writes, you know, there's a name in Judaism, I'm sure people here know someone with the name Shner. So the Chida writes, where does the name Shner come from? He says that in the family of Rabbeinu Yonah, I think it was, there was a machlokas, what to name a child. Uh, there was a child that was, born, that was born, and as sometimes unfortunately happens, there was a dispute between the two sides of the family, which uh, which side to name the child after. Should they name the child after... So one side there was someone by the name of Uri, and on the other side there was someone by the name of Yair. So they were both names that related to Or. Uri and Yair, but they weren't sure which side to name the child after. So what they chose is Shnei Or, two that relate to Or. And that's where the name Shnei Or came from, that it's Shnei Or. So, uh, you know, when, when you have a name like Meir, you uh, remind yourself that, uh, that that it relates to light. So maybe in this context also, it relates to light. Agav, my uncle Julius Berman, once told me, 
that he was talking to Rav Salvechik's mother once. So Rav Moshe Salvechik's wife, Rav Salvechik's mother, and uh, this is obviously pre-1967. 1967 was the year Rav Salvechik was in triple Avelis for his wife, for his uh, brother, for, and for his mother. So uh, it, 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 Julie said um, that, uh, that, that Rav Salvechik's mother said to him, um, Yudel, you notice anything uh, unusual about my son's name? And my uncle was like, unusual. His name is Yosef Tov Halevi Salavechik. I mean, his great-grandfather was the Bey Salevi. It's like the most obvious name to, you know, that you could possibly, that he possibly could have been given. Of course, he's named after the Bey Salevi. Nothing unusual at all. She said, no, you're not paying attention. Think about it. There's something unusual about his name. So he said, I don't know what you're talking about. So she said, in, in, in among Ashkenazim, the minig is that the first name goes to the mother's side of the family, not the father's side of the family. Among Svardim, it goes to the father's side of the family. So unless there's a, a, a major a reason to, to go against the convention, we always go, the mother's side of the family always gets the first name. Uh, Beryl was my, my, my Bukhar. And we named him. We named him Yosef Dov after my husband's side of the family. Isn't that unusual? So my uncle said, "Unusual." I mean, his great grandfather was the base Halevi, right? So I would think that that would be enough reason to go against convention, right? To name him after the base Halevi. And uh, <laughs> the Rav's mother said, "No, no, it's not what happened. What happened was he was born. My father-in-law came to visit. Father-in-law being Rav Chaim Salvechik." And uh, he said to me, I want you to name the baby after my father, after the Beis HaLevi. She said, I told him, no way. I get the first name. You don't get the first name. And uh, Reb Chaim said, you know, she ran a tough bargain. So Reb Chaim said, I'll tell you what. You give us this one name, and then every other child that you have henceforth could go after your side of the family. Instead of alternating one or the other, you'll get you'll get every other name. So she said, so I have a Yosef Dov, but then I have an, a Shmuel, and an Aaron, and a Shalamis, and all of those, none of those are Salvechic names. All of those are uh, Feinstein names. None of those are uh, Salvechic names. Remarkable story, I don't know. But uh, but anyway, so so back to, to our story over here. So maybe a Laka de Meir name, he's just saying the God that is Meir a name. Why do we say it three times? So sometimes in Judaism we say things three times for emphasis, right? Mutalach, mutalach, mutalach. Zechalifasi, zetmurazi, you know, by uh, Kaparos, if you're into Kaparos. Or, uh, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll say things three times as a point of emphasis. So if a person wants to daven, so you should daven with a great, uh, you know, with, with emphasizing the uh, the tefillah, with a great sense of emphasis on the uh, on the tefillah. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Where does the idea of giving tzedakah, though, come from? So in general, whenever you give tzedakah and you associate that tzedakah with uh, with a tefillah or with a mitzvah, it strengthens that mitzvah, right? We do have such a concept, meaning uh, uh, the Mishra Brewer writes, for example, that... Um, when a woman lights Shabbos candles, there's a minug to give tzedakah before lighting Shabbos candles. Why? Why is there such a minug? So Mishabura says, because Hazar Biner, the Gemara says, someone who's careful about Ner, it's a school that the children are going to be Tamid Chachamim. Again, these are not fake schools. These are you know the ones that are in the Gemara. Right? Hazar Biner, Avinu Abadam Tamid Chachamim. So you want, that, that, what greater um, uh, 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 hope is there for a Jewish mother than to have Abadam Tamid Chachamim? So she wants to do whatever she can to strengthen the kawach of that mitzvah. So what does she do? She gives tzedakah beforehand. In fact, I once had a Talmud many years ago uh, who uh, I had him when he was, he was a Talmud of mine when he was in 11th grade. So he called me years later. He was already married. He had children. 
And uh, he, he told me that when, when he got married, his wife had told him that her Kala teacher said that every time that they were intimate with each other, they should give tzedakah. They should give like $50, $100 to tzedakah or something like that. And he said he's been doing that, but now he just lost his job. So he doesn't think he could afford it anymore. So what should he do? So uh, right away I was like, what? what? What kind of strange thing is that to say? Like, I mean, it sounded very Christian to me. It sounded like, you know, uh, you need a kapara for, uh, you know, you do a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah sona. It's a mitzvah shalom. What are you talking about? Like to give tzedakah. So it sounded very odd to me. Um, so, uh, but even if it's odd, you still have to be matur neder, meaning it's still a neder mitzvah. Uh, my, my brother is a very straightforward and blunt uh, person. So when I asked him about this uh, this this uh, neder that this person had to give tzedakah every time he had tashmish amita with his wife, my brother said, "Look, it's a neder mitzvah, just like if a person were to promise to give tzedakah with every bowel movement, it would be a neder mitzvah. Meaning it doesn't matter what you're attaching the tzedakah to. Whenever you say that you're going to give tzedakah, so that's a that's a neder mitzvah. So uh, it is something that would." Require at Taras Nadarim. So I remember I was very bothered by it. I called Rav Shechter and I asked uh, Rav Shechter, like, what's the story that some college teacher is saying that they should give tzedakah? So he said, maybe, <laughs> he said, maybe you could say like that Mishnah Brura, you know, that you give tzedakah before lighting Neros, because Azar Biner having the banim to be the So Rav Shechter said, what do you think is a bigger school to have banim, uh, lighting a Ner or a Mitzvah's Ona? So, so probably they're just strengthening the, uh, the the Mitzvah. He didn't recommend it as a uh, as a thing to do, but he was Malamid Zchus on uh, on such a uh, such a practice, but anyway, so they needed to do ataras and dharam because it was a real nether. So now, as far as the skula, I just used most of my time describing the skula, which wasn't really the core shaila over here. But as far as the skula goes, so there is this thing of saying alaka de meyaraneni, but it's not just saying alaka de meyaraneni. Nothing in Judaism works that way. It means davening to the ribonus shalom with absolute bitachon, the way Rabbi Meir was uh, would daven to the ribonus shalom with absolute bitachon, the way Rabbi Meir was encouraging this god, this guard, to daven to the god of Rabbi Meir uh, with absolute bitachon. It's not even really about the god of Rabbi Meir. It's about our God. It's about the fact that we have absolute bitachon in the Rebbeinu Shalom. So, but that's that's probably where it comes from. So, is there anything wrong with doing it? Probably not. You're doing a neder tzedakah, which is a nice thing to do to donate money to uh, to tzedakah and uh, to daven takarosh baruch As long as you realize that that's in fact what you're doing, that you're davening takarosh baruch and that 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 passage of Amr Rabbi is exactly the point: is that it's not me, that it's not some magic, that it's not I push a button and this comes out. It's that I'm davening to the Ribbono Shalom, right? So that should always be the Kavana. Now now let's get to the core Shaila in the seven minutes we have left, right? Meaning the woman took a neder to give tzedakah, to give $3,600 for tzedakah. Is that neder binding? So why wouldn't it be binding? Meaning you take a neder tzedakah, you have to fulfill the neder. So there are a few reasons why one might argue that it's not binding. Rav Moshe has a tshuva in Yeridea Chilak Aleph, uh, in Igris Moshe Yeridea Chilak Aleph, where he discusses uh, a case of a woman also who's, who took a nedel tzedakah. The case that he was dealing with was a bit of a funny case. A woman was put on a diet by her doctor, and she uh, she said that she'll give $1,000 to tzedakah if she loses weight. But she wasn't specific. That's what she said, if she loses weight. What if she lost one pound? 
So uh, does she owe a thousand dollars to tzedakah? So that was the shaila Ramosha had. So it's not much of a shaila, meaning uh, he spends two pages discussing something else, and then in the last line he says, "No, obviously not. If you lose, lost one pound, just eat a piece of cake." You know, <laughs> like uh, you know that, that's not called losing weight. Losing weight would mean that people would say, "Oh wow, you look great. You lo- you lost a lot of weight." Meaning someone like other than her husband, someone who's like being honest with her, right? Meaning like someone would would noticeably say that that uh, they, that you lost weight, right? So that's, that's how, how Ramosha Ramosha says. But Ramosha in that shuva discusses whether such a that there's binding to begin with. Because says Rav Moshe, it, it, it's not a tonight kafel. She didn't make a full tonight. That if I lose the weight, then I'll give this stuff. And if I don't lose the weight, meaning there are mishpateh tonight, there are rules of how to make a tonight. And she didn't follow the mishpateh tonight. So maybe you could say the same thing over here. So Rav Moshe goes to great lengths in that tshuva, what he dedicates the bulk of that tshuva to, is to say that you don't need mishpateh tonight when it comes to a neder for tzedakah. So that, that if we're barking up that tree, we're going in the wrong place. That's not going to help us. Another possibility is maybe this whole neder was not really a neder. Because I asked her, I said, did you verbalize the neder or did you only think the neder? Because a neder typically is only binding if it's verbalized, if someone says it. But if they only think the neder, then, then, then it's, not going to be, it's not going to be binding. Um, and the woman said, I only thought it. I did not verbalize it. I only thought it. So I thought, ooh, maybe we have room to uh, be makel over here. However, the Ramah writes in Yerodeah and Simon Rational Ches, Im chashav belibo litein eze dover litzdaka, chayiv lekayim machshavaso ve'ein sarich amira. That specifically when it comes to tzedakah, even though by most nedarim, a thought alone is not mechayiv, when it comes to tzedakah, thought alone is mechayiv. So I said, oh no. So even uh, thought is going to be problematic. However, the Pischei Tshuva on the bottom of the Yoridea and the Gilead Marsha on the side of the page in the Yoridea both quote from a Tshuva Sefer called Das Eish, Simen Yodalid, where the Das Eish says that this idea that a Machshava is going to be binding for Tzedakah is only if the entirety, is, is only if the entirety of the of the neder was not b'machshava. There was something verbalized, and the details were b'machshava. For example, a person verbalized, "I'm going to give tzedakah," and b'machshava said to themselves, "3,600 dollars." That's when it would be binding. But if the entirety of the neder was all b'machshava, then even the tzedakah it won't be binding. So I thought, "Oh, great. Okay, so we have a way to help this woman that uh, the entirety of the neder was all b'machshava." But then it occurred to me. You look back at what she said at the passage of the, you know, what she called the Rabbi Meir Balanes pasuk. It's not a pasuk, but the passage. And what does it say? Bizchus hatzedaka sha'ani no dev li'ilu nishmas Rameir Balanes. She said that she's being no dev tzedaka li'ilu nishmas Rameir Balanes. What was in her machshava was just the amount. So this isn't going to help us, right? Now we're still, meaning that that's not going to help the fact that it was b'machshava. So right now we're still stuck with her having to give the $3,600, which is a very difficult thing for her to do at this point in time. And we don't take nedarim lightly. Nedarim have to be taken very, very seriously, right? The Gemara tells us, Terrible, terrible things happen if you violate nedarim. So we're not, we're not, uh, we don't take nedarim lightly. Then there's another possibility of how to avoid this, how to get out of this nether, and that is quite simply that it might be a nether betos. The whole nether may have been taken on, under a mistaken premise. So w- what is the mistaken premise? So one could argue the mistaken premise was that she thought the diamond earrings were lost. 
they in fact were not lost. They were safe and sound, and uh, the daughter knew where they were the whole time. So I argued, what do you mean they're not lost? Everything that's lost is somewhere, meaning it's, it's, it doesn't just disappear. Obviously, it's somewhere. The definition of lost is that I don't know where they are. So she took the nether because she thought that uh, she do, didn't know where they are, and she didn't know where they are. Now she knows where they are. How can you call that a nether betos? So the counter argument would be, they weren't lost to the owner. Meaning, had she known that her daughter knew where they are, even if she doesn't know where they are, she never would have taken the nether. It wasn't, it wasn't on, on account of them being uh, non-visible to her. It was on account of the fact that she thought nobody knew where they are. And, and, and now she discovered that the entire time her daughter knew where they are. Additionally, one could argue that it's a neder betos because she took the neder because she thought the one earring she was holding in her hand was a real diamond, when in fact the one earring she was holding in her hand was a piece of glass. That's why she took the neder. So the whole thing was based on a mistaken premise. It was based on the premise, if she knew that the one earring she was holding in her hand was her daughter's bat mitzvah earring, which was a piece of glass and was worth nothing, she never would have taken the neder in the first place. Which, agav, just by the way, um, maybe women on this call won't appreciate this as much as, as, as men might, the, the finder's fee for this pair of earrings was $3,600. I don't know what the pair of earrings cost. But I do know she was holding a piece of glass in her hand and couldn't tell the difference between the, the actual earring and the uh, you know the piece of cubic zirconium uh, glass that she's holding in her hand. Maybe we should question how much money we spend on uh, on jewelry. Um, but but anyway, so so it was all based on that uh, on that on, on that tatus. So maybe for that reason it's a it's a nether tatus. Either way, you could probably do a hatara, right? Even though uh, we hesitate to do a hatara nidre mitzvah. But uh, you could probably do a Taras Nadarim either way. The husband could also have been made for the nether if he found out on that day. But again, she didn't want to tell her husband about this because of these other situations. So I, I, I had the opportunity to ask Morena of Shechter Shlita what he thought in this uh, situation. And he said that he thinks it's Pashut, that it's, the whole thing is a nether betaus. It wasn't lost. The, the owner of the earrings knew where they were the entire time. And therefore, the nether is not binding. And that in such a case, she would not have to give the uh, the $3,600 to uh, to tzedakah. I asked Rabbi Sabalovsky Shlita. He was not as convinced. Uh, he thought uh, you probably do have to do atara, and uh, he was hesitant about doing atara because it's a neder mitzvah. But he said, you know, with the tziruf that, that it wasn't really a verbal neder, maybe uh, to do hataras nedarim in such a situation. But uh, I'm more noted to assume, like Rosh that it is a uh, that it is a neder betalus, and therefore it may not even require hatara plus. You know, she said kol nidre probably. So uh, at some point, according to its machlokes rishonim, whether that counts uh, to be mevatel all the nedarim, but maybe, maybe that counts enough to be mevatel the nedarim, but uh, the, the ikar is that it's probably considered to be a nether betalus. So I thank you all again for coming uh, to learn together this morning. Be'ez Hashem, at some other occasion, we'll have an opportunity to discuss the other shayla that, uh, that we didn't get to, and... Uh...